0: This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome
1: back, everyone, to Real Presence Live. Father Jason Leffer joining me, Father James Gross from our Grand Forks Studios. As we look at the fact here we are uh, past the middle of February, and we are just under two weeks before Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the season of Lent. So I guess it's not too early to start thinking about how to
2: make the most of that penitential season. You know, I might be a strange one, but I always love Lent. I, I love that calling back, getting back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it's experience of just hope, like It always builds for this hopeful season of the Resurrection.
1: The daily Mass readings especially are so helpful. They're impactful and and dramatic. So on that note, we have uh, um, uh, the uh, newly installed Bishop of the Diocese of Crookston with us, Bishop Andrew Cousins. Bishop, welcome back to Real Presence Live.
3: Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you.
1: Thanks so much. Now, it's just been a little over two months, I believe, since your installation. So uh, how are things going for you so far?
3: Well, it's been going very well. We've had five blizzards here in the uh, Red River Valley since I arrived. I'm not sure if that's coincides with my arrival, um, but it's been actually a great gift. Great yes, gift yes, to get to know the diocese.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you, you've you been around long enough. you found the, the drawers with the office supplies, you know your way around and stuff by now.
3: Yep, and actually I've had, um, I've had an individual meeting with almost every priest in the diocese. I went to e- each priest to meet them in their place in the first couple of months, so... I've got three
0: Fantastic. more that I'll do
2: this week, and then I'll be done. I've, I've met every one of them, so, so that's wonderful. No, bishop, bishop Cousins, I have to say, I was, uh, last time I saw you was actually at your installation, and it was such a powerful spiritual experience. It, it was very, very powerful, very moving, and uh, such a hopeful experience, and it was just a delight to be able to uh, have the privilege of being present for that. It was Anyway, I just, uh, mm-hmm. I'm just i so glad that you are our neighboring bishop in and, and, and this area.
3: I'm delighted to be here.
1: It uh, definitely is a blessing. So what what we are going to be visiting with you uh, about today, Bishop, is uh, the work that you're doing on behalf of the USCCB for what is Mm -hmm. called the National Eucharistic Revival. Um, And there is a website, eucharisticrevival.org, that has been set up. That's eucharisticrevival.org. So uh, for those who may not have heard yet about this, could you explain um, the the vision and and the work that uh, you guys have been doing so far about this?
3: Yeah, the the National Eucharistic Revival is a three-year project that seeks to really transform uh the Catholics in the United States, through an encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist uh all of us are aware of the kind of dramatic statistics about um re- faith in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and this uh, kind of scary statistic that almost two thirds of Catholics don't believe in jesus's presence in the real presence in the, in jesus's real presence in the Eucharist or at least don't understand it right mm-hmm. and um So the bishops of the United States, in response to that dramatic pastoral need, have decided to do a three-year revival. And so we're really looking um, to affect the Church in the United States at every level. We're going to start with what we call a diocesan year, which will begin on Corpus Christi this June. And so that's an opportunity for events to happen around the diocese that would um, inspire and catechize, especially uh, leaders and parishes, and uh, leaders in the diocese to be able then the second year to bring this revival to parishes where we really hope that people will take the opportunity to enter even into small groups and catechesis groups and also do more opportunities for adoration, um, for Eucharistic service, really with this idea that we need to catechize first even the people in the pews. You know, this is... um, it's, it can be a little stunning, but our studies show that actually almost half the people in the pews don't have a, a real proper understanding of Jesus' presence in the Eucharist. We asked in uh, an advertising study, we asked two questions of people who go to Mass every Sunday. First, the question was stated this way. Is um, The Catholic Church teaches that, Jesus, that the, the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Christ, true or false? And the second question was, the Catholic Church teaches that the body the bread and wine uh, represent the body and blood of Christ in our symbols. And almost half the Catholics code of mass every Sunday chose the second. Now, of course, you know they might have some understanding that also expresses the real presence, but we know the Catholic Church teaching is the first. It actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. And so we have a lot of work to do, even with just the people who are in the pew to help them understand the power of the Eucharist. And, of course, what happens when someone comes to understand the power of the Eucharist is that it transforms their whole life. And that's what we really hope, is that through our people in the pews, having their lives transformed by this real encounter with Jesus and the Eucharist, they'll become missionaries to the rest of the world. And so the third year of the revival is really focused on that outreach. We we will have a National Eucharistic Congress, the first one in almost 50 years in the United States, And that'll be uh, in 2024 in the middle of July in Indianapolis. And all the listeners are invited. We hope you're going to be there
1: fabulous. Now um let's let's look at kind of the short term here uh, perhaps with uh, some of the ideas percolating in your own diocese as an example. Um, we're going to be coming up on the feast of Corpus Christi, I believe it in the middle of June. What are some um uh practical suggestions that um uh that that, that you're making in terms of how on the local parish level we can be a part of the Eucharistic revival this year?
3: So what we're asking dioceses to do is to come up with a diocesan plan. Uh, we would like every diocese to do a Corpus Christi procession this year on the Feast of Corpus Christi, which is uh, Sunday, June 19th. And uh, we haven't decided here in Crookston if we're going to do it in Moorhead or in Bemidji or in Crookston itself. We're kind of thinking Bemidji. But um, but we want to invite as many people from around the diocese to come together, for a mass and a following that a eucharistic procession, and of course the eucharistic procession is a beautiful way to give testimony to what we believe about Jesus in the Eucharist. Because nobody processes around and sings songs to a piece
2: of bread, right? We do this we <laughs> well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't, you never tasted my mom's homemade bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <exactly.
3: laughs> so we all know how ridiculous that is. The point is, when people see us doing this, they understand that these Catholics believe something here that's that's powerful. i like to point out that St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, the very first American saint, was converted by a Eucharistic procession. She was an Episcopalian, and she was in Italy, and there was a Eucharistic procession that came in front of her house, and everybody around her knelt, so she knelt. And then she had an experience where she encountered Jesus in the Eucharist, and that led her into the Catholic Church, and she became a saint, our first saint. In the United States, so these processions can be very powerful. But then we'll ask dioceses to kind of organize opportunities around the diocese uh, for Eucharistic devotion, for Eucharistic catechesis. The other thing we're going to do in the diocesan year is we'll be offering courses online for people who want to sign up to become a Eucharistic missionary. So you take you can take a course. It'll be a five or a six-week course, and then you can, you know, actually. Become a Eucharistic missionary, so the following year you can help in your parish, especially with the catechesis and evangelization of those who aren't yet fully informed.
2: You know, Bishop Cousins, there, there's, um, you know, obviously there's, there's always pluses and minuses to everything, and and you know, goods and bads mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it, it seems in my recent memory of my lifetime that there was kind of this emphasis, like for Catholics, like to be careful to not have a triumphalistic kind of approach. And, and with your Catholic identity, if, if you're showing it publicly, it's, it's like putting others down or so forth. And, and I think that, that might be one of the reasons why suddenly our, all these statistics are showing people have lost understanding of devotion of the Eucharist or the reality of the Eucharist or... Okay, so, if, I mean, there's probably a legitimate concern behind that triumphalism, but you just gave the example of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton being converted by a Eucharistic procession. So, what, um, I mean, what do we say to people when we say, oh, you know, when, they, when they make that claim, like, oh, you, you Catholics, you're just kind of forcing your, your religion into our face or whatever, versus the beauty and the glory and the attractiveness of what we really do possess as Catholics?
3: I think I would say two things. One is I would quote Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see good works and give glory to your heavenly Father. And he says, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel basket, but they set it on a hill so it can be seen, you know. And uh, Jesus himself says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And so there is a kind of beautiful thing to hold up what we believe is true, and we're not we're not in that way trying to condemn other people and make them feel bad. What we're trying to say is, look, we've been given this great gift, and we want the whole world to know about this great gift because it's a gift for the life of the world, as Jesus himself said, right? My flesh, this is my flesh for the life of the world. And so we want to hold that up. The other thing I do think is, you know, uh, that word culture is such an important word because it's it's the air we breathe that forms us, right? And we live in a culture that is not directed towards God. And the Church has always had a desire to influence and form a culture so that the air begins to invite people to turn towards God of a culture, right? And the root of that word culture is cult, which means worship, Right. You know, in modern day English, cult is a bad word, but um, it tends to mean like you know, brainwashing or something like that. But in, in, the, in its root, it simply means worship. And at the heart of culture is what we worship. And the fact is, you know, we have parades for the Super Bowl. And we have parades, you know, for Macy's and Disney and all kinds of things, right? And sometimes it's because we actually worship those things. And so yeah, we need to have parades for what's true and what we do actually worship, which is mm. Jesus and yeah. His Blessed Mother. You know,
1: right? It it that comes back to culture. the yeah. It comes back to the first commandment. You know, I am the Lord your God. You shall not have strange gods before me. And Father Leffer and I were talking about the sort of cult like following of certain things, like every year when the Super Bowl comes around, and you know it, this really. Uh, hinges on people's willingness to consider in their own lives what is front and center, what are they considering as God, have they made some sort of idol that is not God, you know, um, in that place, to take that place, and,
2: and how the Eucharist can kind of
1: um, free us and, and, and rescue us from and, and that. And
2: one simple practical expression is that how eager we are to wear our sports teams' logos and our hats, our shirts right. everything, right. but how how careful we are to let anybody see that we might be identified as a Catholic. You know right,
3: right., yep, yeah, and that's because the culture in which we live, that air about the sports teams, is, is really accepted, right? But the Christian expression of faith is not so accepted. So it's actually good for us to show what we believe, because it affects the culture in certain ways. Oh, wow, these Catholics are serious about this, you know, Indeed. And it begins, begins to affect people in positive ways.
1: Well, we are visiting with Bishop Cousins from the Diocese of Crookston, and we'll continue this conversation after a break. For our final segment coming up on the other side of this break,
0: you're listening to Real Presence Live. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network.
4: In today's world, we are enslaved to addiction. I'm Father Chris Alar. Alcoholism, pornography, and drug abuse have become the master of millions of lives, maybe even your own. Addiction has led to countless deaths by overdose and suicide. So what can be done about it? Victims often explain they are searching to escape the troubles of this world, or they are trying to find a form of ecstasy. Unfortunately, these enslavers provide neither. The experience is only pseudo, a fleeting imitation of an authentic spiritual experience. There's only one true spiritual experience that can provide fulfillment, and when you find it, you will find hope. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help.
1: welcome back to Real Presence Live Father James Gross joined by Father Jason Leffer priest of the Diocese of Fargo coming to you from our Grand Forks studios as we are visiting with Bishop Andrew Cousins from the uh, Diocese of Crookston, Minnesota, our neighbors across the Red river and uh, what uh, it occurs to me one of the smallest cities in the United States with a a, a cathedral church but um, uh mm-hmm. what what you're what, what you may be lacking in population you make up for in, in heart and devotion right bishop
3: <laughs> that's true that's true, and we have a lot of. Lot of beautiful people in
2: the diocese. You know, on, on the other uh, other side of the break, we were talking about those unfortunate statistics that show kind of a lack of understanding, or, or even in the last number of years of the real presence of, of Christ in the Eucharist. We say that Jesus is truly present in a real way body, blood, soul, and divinity. Um, and again, we were talking about those kind of identity things like the triumphalism versus the actual showing, revealing the glory of God in our faith. And, you know, uh, Bishop Cousins, another area that it seems like um, there's all these like tension and I, I find it unfortunate that when the tension wins out but in just regard to the liturgy and the expression of our, our worship comes down to in the Eucharist where there seems to be like kind of a tension between the Eucharist as sacrifice and Eucharist as meal and and this can come out how we celebrate our liturgy or or whether we have devotions to the eucharist like adoration or not or how we gather as a people and and i always it always breaks my heart when i find like we catholics are kind of like competing about which one is real the way it should be do, do you have some like fatherly advice or insight into how we can actually like reconcile this so that it, it's not we're not competing, but we're actually increasing our understanding and our, and, and so that we can really receive the the full comforts of of what the Eucharist is for us as Catholics. Uh,
3: yes, so you know um, I like the way that um, Pope Benedict spoke about it uh, in a little book that he had written uh, on the Eucharist, and I think it was actually written when he was before he was Pope, um, and he. He basically says in there, he says, of course we should remember that the Eucharist is a meal, but it's not an ordinary meal. And we should always remember that it cost Jesus his life to give us this food. And so whenever we approach the Eucharist, we don't approach this as if it were an ordinary meal because there's nothing ordinary about it and this was really the emphasis of the uh, famous encyclical letter that St. John Paul II wrote on the Eucharist right near the end of his life, one of his last ones, um, Ecclesia de Eucharistia. And really he wanted to emphasize there the centrality of the sacrificial nature of the Eucharist, which in my estimation is kind of the deepest nature of the Eucharist. Everything in it is meant to lead us to union with jesus in his sacrifice and you know this is also a misunderstood part of the eucharist even a lot of good catholics who understand communion right that jesus himself really comes to me in communion that this is a personal and intimate encounter when i receive his body and blood in the eucharist they don't fully understand how that uh, the mass makes present the worship of jesus on the cross And how it's meant to be the place that my whole life becomes an act of worship. And so that's the real heart of the Eucharist. And from that flows the meal, right? Which is the gift of Jesus' flesh and blood for our our life, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so it certainly is meant to be uh, an intimate encounter. Jesus comes to us as our food. But we're meant to be drawn into this self-gift. So it was never, even at the Last Supper, just an ordinary meal. First off, it was the Passover meal. Second, it was Jesus' Passover. And it was, from the very beginning, a sacrificial self-gift to the Father on our behalf so that we could learn to make our whole lives a sacrifice, right? Which is the real heart of living a Eucharistic life that one learns as one's drawn into the mystery.
1: When we think of um, the difficulties that people may have in understanding what the Church teaches about the Eucharist, one of the things I personally continue to return to when visiting with um, parents or uh, families of children who are making their first communion is uh, that explanation about how a substance changes while the uh, accidents or the appearances of it you know do not and and um, it's mm-hmm. interesting that the protestant reformers like uh, Luther and Calvin tried to kind of have it both ways that we are really mm-hmm. receiving Christ in the Lord's supper but not through you know the the ministerial priesthood affecting a change in the substances so um just if i could just uh, hear you know your thoughts uh, uh, briefly on you know how to kind of impart that um which can be sort of difficult to to, to visualize, you know, just what is happening with the uh, changing of the substance of the elements in the Eucharist.
3: Yeah, when I would try to teach this, especially to kids or to anybody, I would try to tell them, you know, there is a difference between what our senses tell us and what a thing really is, right? Our senses report characteristics of a thing, and that would, we would call the accidents of the properties, right? They report yeah. that it's white, or that it's round, or that it's heavy, and, you know, we have five senses, and they can report the characteristics in five different ways, right? Um, but we all know that our senses don't reach to the substance or the essence of the thing, because sometimes we're wrong, and sometimes I would even do this to the kids. It's kind of a trick, but I would take a pencil, and I would wrap it in white paper and put it on the chalkboard, you know, and then I would hold it up, at a certain point in the lecture, say, what is this? And they'd say, well, it's a piece of chalk because that's what their senses told them, right? And I'd toss it to one of them and say, well, what is it? And they'd say, oh, it's a pencil and white piece of paper, you know? And the point is our senses are not always accurate, right? And there is something of the essence of a thing that is beyond our senses. Now, normally, when you put all those accidents together, those properties, we can make a pretty determined guess on what the substance is. But that's what our mind does. But it's not always the case, and this is the miracle, is that the substance changes without the characteristic or properties changing. So you can't sense it. But I love the way St. Thomas says it. He says, all our other senses are in this deceived. What says trusty hearing? It shall be believed. Truth himself speaks truly, or there's nothing true. What does hearing say? This is my body. That's true, because Jesus said it, and Jesus is God, right? Yeah.
1: Well, thank you very much for sharing some of those reflections. Um, And uh, just a reminder that um, on the diocesan level, uh, there will be certainly information, I would imagine, on websites uh, updating us on the events that are being planned for the Eucharistic revival this year and and next and the year after. Before we let you... Please Please go go to our
3: website and sign up at org. You can sign up to be a member of the revival, and then you'll be getting the weekly updates as this revival comes out. It starts in June.
1: Very good idea. Thanks for that reminder. Before we let you go, Bishop, would you uh, be so kind as to offer us your blessing?
3: Yes. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all your listeners and remain with them forever. Amen.
1: Amen. Bishop Andrew Cousins from the Diocese of in Minnesota, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us, and uh, blessings to you and uh, the good people of your diocese.
3: God bless you. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much. Well, what a great uh, crowning way to cap off uh, a two-hour program here today, Father. And uh, before we wrap things up, we need to hear from Eli down at Command Central with a preview of our next show. Hey, thanks, Father. Great show today. Got another good one. Coming up tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Central, here on the Real Presence Radio Network. That's hosted by Father Brian Christensen and Karen Gibis, coming to you live from the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Rapid City, South Dakota. They'll visit with Brett Eckert. He'll tell us how the Alpha Course is helping cathedral parishioners. Then Ken, Ken Orock will tell us how to change a cathedral into a basilica. Plus, Paul Quinn from the Western South Dakota Catholic Foundation will tell us how there's a new face in town all this and so much more is coming up on the next Real Presence live that's
2: Friday morning 9 to 11am central here on the Real Presence Radio Network right back to you Eli it's always such a treat to be to be with you and know that we are Firmly in your your control down there, and you you won't you make us sound better. So
1: <laughs> as you are ensconced in your chair in the uh, <laughs> in the studio, <laughs>
2: c- c- command central. Uh, Father you're Gross,
1: too kind. You make it so easy,
2: <laughs> Father Gross. I wanted to just let listeners know in in my area that on yes. Sunday, February 27th, we are having our. It, it's the, the closest we can do it to the feast of Cyril Methodius, which is the February 14th. But um, we are having our traditional Czech pork and dumpling. Meal. And oh, all the fixings, fabulous. the clotchies, all of it. And, and we're, we're, you know, we're taking still the COVID thing into account. So it's going to be Sunday, uh, starting at uh, 1030 in the morning, go from 1030 all the way until we're out. And last year, we ran out really quickly. We even So this year, we're kind of doubling. The Get there deal. right away. But we're having two <laughs> options. You can come in, and sit in and dine in. Or if you, because of COVID concerns or weather concerns, you can stay in the comfort of your car and pull up and let us know. And we'll bring out the number of meals. To go uh, that you'd like to have. But again, the, the traditional, um, you know, homemade dumplings and, and pork and, and yeah. sauerkraut and uh, the the can, and we actually have this year we have you can come and buy bags of kolaches you can take those those home with you as well so it's it's going to be a, a wonderful meal there at Saint John the Catholic mm-hmm. Church in Piesick, North Dakota.
1: That really sounds wonderful. Thanks so much for promoting that. And uh, we should mention Saint Cyril and Methodius. They were, I guess, they were brothers, correct? And they're in in the ninth century. The, uh, the 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 patrons of Slavic peoples. So there's a pretty wide swath of Central and Eastern Europeans who consider. Them, their
2: patrons, and, and the, yeah, from Moravia. So, again, an invitation: of people to come. If you come for that meal, we have the famous uh, original painting by Alphonse Mucha, who, and it's this uh, very famous painting that is Fantastic. in St. John's in Pisik and they tell me it's worth like two and a half million, something like that, or whatever. But. Anyway, it, Definitely. It, it's there, and it's um, it's for the art, artist artistic eye to behold.
1: So. Definitely worth a pilgrimage to the Holy Land up there in Walsh County. So that wraps up our Real Presence Live show for today. Stay tuned for more great programming on Real Presence Radio. Women Made New with Kristalina Everett is coming up next. Thanks for joining us, and blessings to you and your families.
0: This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network.